The sermon scripture for today comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. This is the New Living Translation. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Let me add my welcome to everyone this morning, especially if you're a guest. So glad that you're here. Uh, Thank you, Kara, for reading our scripture this morning. And as the kids are dismissed, if you have a Bible, you can turn to the passage that you just heard read. We're going to be looking at that a little bit closer and a little bit more of the surrounding context, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But if we were to talk about American ideals, maybe some of the values that have impacted and shaped us as a country, uh, many people would include on that list what's been called rugged individualism. Uh, President Herbert Hoover coined that phrase uh, back in 1928 in a campaign speech. He argued that our country's greatness was at least in part tied to uh, the self-reliance of the individual. And we see this, though, not only in politics uh, in our country. There's an almost romantic notion of the lone cowboy, right, over against the untamed frontier. Uh, We think in terms of individual rights. Our culture respects the self-made millionaire. Our culture respects the one who comes in and takes charge, who overcomes adversity by themselves, to pull themselves up by their bootstraps without the help of anybody else. Thank you very much, right? Now, this isn't all bad. Don't hear me saying that. This ideal, this value of rugged individualism. But if we're not aware of how it impacts us in our culture, Uh, we can run into trouble, particularly when a bunch of rugged individuals like us uh, gather as a church, and we hear the Apostle Paul say to us that we are one body in Christ. We're not just a bunch of individuals that happen to be meeting together to worship God. No, he says we are a body, a fundamental identity. Now, whether you grew up in this country and you can relate to the culture of individualism or you're from another part of the world, Getting a hold of this concept that we see in this passage can be a radically different way of seeing yourself, even as an individual, but especially corporately as a body. It impacts how we view one another. It impacts how we live. 
We continue our series this morning uh, on the church called Be the Church. Last week, we started by attempting a definition of the church, or at least to put up some uh, boundary lines, some signposts, some ingredients that have to be there for something to be a church. Because there is some spiritual mystery to all this that's hard for us to grasp, the New Testament gives us several metaphors, several images to help us grasp what God is doing in and through the church. Last week, we saw Paul call the church a building, use the imagery of, of building, a dwelling place of God. The church is also called the flock of Christ. It's called a family. It's called a bride. But the most common metaphor in the New Testament is a body, the body. And this shows us that while our personal individual walk with God is absolutely vital, as believers, we have to learn to embrace our corporate identity, too. And so let's pray together as we turn uh, to this passage. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts uh, to the truth of your word. We pray that your spirit would move in our hearts. Um, and as we approach a passage like this, I pray that you would grow our, not only our understanding but our life together as a body. And so we turn to this passage and, and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So look at 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. Um, I'm reading from the ESV. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul's saying here, just like a human body is made up of many body parts, so too the church is made up of many members, but it's one body. Now this is vital teaching for any church uh, across time. If you know anything about the church at Corinth, this teaching was especially vital to them, wasn't it? If you've read the rest of the, this letter uh, to the church at Corinth, you know they had all sorts of problems. They had lost sight of their corporate identity, seeing themselves as a body. There were divisions, there were factions, some were looking down on others. They even took communion in a selfish way, not considering one another. This chapter in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians begins with Paul teaching on spiritual gifts in that same context, in part because some were acting like they had superior gifts than others. They were saying, hey, I have the gift of prophecy and you don't, so I'm better than you. And that's the context Paul is speaking into here uh, about spiritual gifts and also this idea of the body. Well, Paul says, no, the same spirit gives gifts to everyone. The gifts are given to build one another up, not to elevate one over another. That's all for the good of the body. So this church at Corinth wasn't living into this truth of their identity as the body of Christ, but it's still spiritually true of the church, and Paul's teaching them that here and us as well. He's saying you're all one body. You're not acting like it right now, but you're all one body, so deal with it. Baptism represents a stepping into the community, stepping into the family. It transcends any racial or cultural distinctions, as Paul says so radically here. Jew or Greek, slave or free, we're all one body. 
And we saw last week there is a universal church and there is also a local church. This teaching on the body applies to both. All believers around the world are part of the one body of Christ. But each individual local church is also a body. As Paul makes clear in this chapter and elsewhere when he talks about spiritual gifts, he talks about practically caring for the needs of each other in a local church body. This teaching is so important to Paul because it has huge implications for living the Christian life. For one thing, it tells us that as the body of Christ, we are vitally connected with Jesus. And this, Paul, this truth uh, really hit home for Paul at his conversion. Before trusting Jesus, Paul was a persecutor of Christians until the risen Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And he asked Paul a very interesting question. Do you remember what it was? Paul, why are you persecuting my followers? Now, wait a minute. That's not what he said, is it? Paul, why are you persecuting me? He could say that because his people are his body. We are, as Paul loves to say, we are in Christ. This is our fundamental identity. Paul's saying that we, together as a church, we are vitally connected to Jesus. This should bring us comfort. It should also remind us that our ultimate allegiance is to Christ, the head of the body. And now we as members of the body are not just connected to the head, to Christ, but we're vitally connected to one another. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sen- where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see how clear Paul is trying to be. He's using this metaphor to encourage those believers in Corinth, many of whom were probably feeling less than, because they thought maybe they had a lesser spiritual gift. And he makes this image ridiculous, right? If a whole body is made up of just hands or just eyes, it wouldn't do much good, would it? That's the point Paul's making here. It couldn't even function. It wouldn't even be alive. The body needs every part to function properly, and so the body of Christ needs every member. Every member of the body is vital. And if you, for whatever reason, have felt or are feeling now less than in your walk with Christ, less than in the body of Christ, maybe you don't feel like you have much to contribute, Paul's words here are for you. God puts you in the body for a reason. And now Paul wasn't the first, though he loved this image. He wasn't the first to compare groups of people to a a human body. You see this in ancient writing as well. There were Roman authorities and orators who would compare Roman society to a body. And they argued that every part was needed, but that was based on status. In other words, to function properly, Roman society needs people of high status, and we need people way down here to serve the people up here. So in other words, we need everybody, but get in line, you of low status. 
So Paul takes this image and he presents it in a gospel-oriented way. Paul's point is very, very different. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So Paul's saying here, every part of the body is needed. It's not to elevate one over the other, to say that one is more important. But all serve each other. All parts are indispensable. And that's a great word for us to latch on to this morning. So it's easy to see why the body was Paul's favorite or most common metaphor for the church because it has so much to tell us about who we are and how we function together. So it speaks to those who feel less than, who don't feel like they have impressive gifts. If that's you, you need to hear that you are indispensable in the body of Christ. Speaks to those who feel better than, ever, than, than others, who at times are tempted to flaunt their gifts or their abilities with pride. It puts them in their place. Because a hand is no better than a foot, Paul is saying. This teaching speaks to those who might be tempted to show up to the church and be consumers, which is a temptation in our culture. Consumers of content, consumers of experience. To leave ministry to the quote-unquote professionals. There's another text where Paul teaches on the body, and that's Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says he gave apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, who we might today think of as professional ministers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Don't miss that. For the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, the people you may be looking to in your life to do ministry, God has actually put them in your life to equip you to do ministry. Paul's point is clear. There are no passive consumers in a body. Not if every member is vital. Not if the body is to be functioning in a healthy and productive way. There's no room in this teaching for putting a charismatic personality at the center or the foundation of a church. If the body becomes overly dependent on one part of the body and then you take that part away, what happens? Sadly, we see it all too often. The body doesn't function if it was ever functioning properly at all. Every part vital, every part working together for the building up of the whole body. Paul is just hammering this point over and over again. And we come back to where we started this morning. Paul's teaching leaves no room for the lone Christian, right? Just me and my Bible versus the world. Some think church is optional, and we say things like, all I really need is Jesus. And yes, that's true, but how crazy is it to say, I need Jesus, but I don't need his body? Let that sink in. Just as God has given you gifts that are needed in the body, God has given your brothers and sisters in Christ gifts and perspectives and comfort and words and encouragement that you need. 
So not only are you indispensable in the body, but your brothers and sisters around you are indispensable to your growth in Christ. Is life in community hard? Absolutely. Is it messy? Is it costly? Yes, but it's God's plan for us. Because whether we want to act like it or not, whether we rightly live into it as a church, Jesus has vitally connected us together. Look at verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So a body that is rightly functioning suffers and rejoices together. Think of the last time you had a really bad toothache. Those are fun. Maybe you broke a bone. Maybe even just stubbed your toe. Does the rest of your body just go on about its business, ignoring that part of the body that's in pain? Ah, it's just a toe. No, no, no. Your whole body gets in on it, right? Your whole body hurts when your tooth hurts, when you stub your toe. Your whole body hurts. But sometimes the church acts like that knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Probably seen the, the scene that I'm talking about, even if you haven't seen the whole movie. The black knight is the, a guard, and he won't let Arthur pass. And they get into a sword fight. Arthur keeps wounding this knight, this guard, but he won't quit even as he's losing his arms and legs. Merely a flesh wound, he keeps saying. Tis but a scratch. But when a member of the body suffers, the rest of the body is meant to suffer with them. And that's how the body functions. That's how a human body functions. That's how the church body is meant to function. Now, of course, this requires something of us, doesn't it? When we are suffering, when we are hurting, it requires vulnerability from us to let others in, to share our need, to allow the body to suffer with us. It requires sacrifice from the rest of the body to give time and attention to the one who is suffering. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 13, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. One of our church values is joy in suffering. And by that, of course, we don't mean that we seek out suffering. But over the years, we have seen God work in our body time and again. When someone is suffering, the church body rallies around and suffers together, and it's a beautiful thing. And we also rejoice together. Like when your ears hear beautiful music, it's not just your ears. Your whole body can get swept up into the experience, right? But of course, again, to suffer or rejoice together, we have to be involved in each other's lives to some degree, right? Our vital connection is this spiritual reality that we have to keep learning to live into practically, and that means prioritizing time together, making time to connect, to listen to one another, to speak into each other's lives. And so being the body means being vitally connected to Jesus. It means being vitally connected to one another, and it means being a visible reflection of Jesus to the world around us. Now we need to remember that this is a metaphor. We are not Jesus. We are instead united, we are connected to him. 
Jesus has a physical resurrected body. He is returning one day in the flesh. But while we wait for the return of Christ, the church is meant, his body on earth is meant to reflect his beauty and his love to the world. As the saying goes, we are Christ's hands and feet. Christ in us wants to show himself to the broken and the hurting people around us, and he's chosen to do that through his church. This is a high calling. This is a sobering calling. And we'll, in the coming weeks, dig more deeply into what it means to be his hands and feet, what that means practically for us in our local community. But for now, let's focus on getting our heads around this, getting our hearts around this, our identity as the body of Christ. Now, if you don't know Jesus, he invites you to find life in him. And through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he has made a way. He has made the way to be forgiven, to be reconciled with the Father. And never held at a distance, but united with him, part of God's family, part of Christ's body. Many of us as believers would do well to spend some time this week thinking and praying and meditating on our identity, our corporate identity. When there are so many voices around, uh, voices around us and influences in our culture that would say that we are just an individual, that my rights matter the most. We need to spend some time here in Paul's words And allow these words to influence us. We are not just an individual follower of Jesus. We are a part of the whole. That means not just showing up and sitting in the pew and going home. It means being an active part. Using your gifts for the building up of the body as Paul teaches. And as part of this church, you are an indispensable part of this body. You need to see yourself that way. You need to see those around you as indispensable to your life and growth in Christ. How does that truth impact our lives? Does it? Does it challenge, does it change our priorities and our commitments? So let's embrace our corporate identity in Christ. This is how his body is meant to function. Another key passage on the body in Ephesians 4, Paul paints the picture He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What an image. But this isn't just an unreachable ideal. This isn't just an aspiration. This is clear teaching from the Apostle Paul. This is how the church is meant to live. It's imperfect on this side of eternity. It's messy, but it's God's plan. And so we're commended by Scripture this morning to continue to live into this identity together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus who brought us into your presence now and eternally. We thank you for your spirit who who unites us as one body. So give us a growing vision for how we as this local body, how we can thrive in the life and the love of Jesus 
So we would seek to build up one another for the glory of Christ, as we would seek to reflect his love to our community for the growth of his kingdom. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray in faith. Amen.